while he's doing that, uh, thank you for letting my wife and I come and to get to be a part of this uh, couple's retreat. And we have been looking forward to it. And we come from Lancaster, California, which is a lot like Fort Myers, Florida. It's really similar. If you can just envision Fort Myers, the way it might look after like a nuclear bomb or something, <laughs> uh, that's Lancaster, California. <laughs> and uh, we live in the Mojave Desert, so uh, there's no green, there's no rain, there's uh, no trees. Uh, we have what's called Joshua trees, and they are uh, big cacti, and uh, that's kind of what we're known for. But uh, it's a lot of fun to get to be here and to get to be in your part of the world. And uh, we flew in uh, yesterday and uh, had a smooth day travel, had dinner last night with Pastor Mrs. Keeley. It's a joy to be reconnected with them. They were there at Lancaster Baptist Church when God, God brought our family there in August of 2012. And then we had the privilege to serve the Lord together uh, in that uh, way. And I just am uh, thankful for them. Of course, uh, missed seeing them go, didn't want them to go. And, uh, but God had other plans in bringing them here. Uh, to your church and ministering uh, to you and leading the church forward here in Florida. And so it's just a joy to be back with them. And I love the Keeleys. I'm thankful uh, for Pastor Keeley's just uh, down-to-earth love for people, love for God's Word, and passion to teach God's Word to people. And it's really the doctrine of the Word of God that holds us together. So I'm grateful for that and for the privilege Suzanne and I have uh, to be here with you for this couple's retreat. Kenny and Becky, thank you for all your work. Uh, for the couple's tree. We walked in here last night about 11 or 10 30 or 11 and got to see the decorations and uh, all that had gone into this. You've done a great job. And uh, the music, the book, the songs, everything to the Keeleys and uh, to Kenny and Becky, thank you for your labor of love and preparing that we could just come and enjoy this together. Suzanne and I have the privilege of putting on a couple's retreat, and we've done that both in Northern California when I worked for my dad for 10 years and then in Southern California. So we probably have hosted uh, 19 or 20 couples retreats, and then uh, we've had the privilege of being a part of several others as well. And so it's a joy to be here with you today and looking forward to it immensely. And I echo uh, Pastor's encouragement to really just uh, be all in. The time is short, and uh, oftentimes what you get out of something like this is greatly determined by what you put into something like this. And I know for me, Suzanne and I, celebrated 20 years of marriage this June, and I am grateful for the bride that God has given to me. Uh, we're young, we're getting started in many, many ways, uh, but now we got two decades of marriage under our belt as well, and I was always taught you measure life and ministry as far as the longevity of it in decades, just how is someone being faithful in those terms, and uh, I'm thankful for our family, God's blessings, and I have four kids, Mariah, Lydia, Annaline, and Joseph, and they're in the 12th, 10th, 8th, and 6th grade. And uh, so our oldest is a senior, and she's driving, and we've got a girl playing volleyball, and a boy playing football, and uh, all the good stuff that goes with all of those things. And it's, it's a fun season of life right now, and uh, we're grateful for God's blessing on that. And yet I have a passion to be a better Christian, a better husband, a better father, and an opportunity like this is a great opportunity to kind of pull away from it all and just to focus on the marriage relationship. It's kind of like when your car maybe is not running as well as it could, it's kind of rough or it's not responsive or uh, maybe it's obvious and noise or something that there's something wrong. And sometimes you just need to take it to a mechanic and get it tuned up, right? Uh, maybe, maybe when you let your hands off the wheel, it's no longer straight. It veers to the left or to the right pretty quickly. And maybe just taking it in. And you know what? We just need to get the car tuned up. We need to get it aligned. We need to get it serviced because we want it to operate the way it was designed to operate. That's a good analogy of a marriage retreat. This is an opportunity for a tune-up for an alignment, for a service. Why? So that your relationship will operate the way that God designed marriage to operate. That's where we're going to begin our time together today and tonight. Genesis chapter 2, if you have a copy of God's Word, and we're going to be talking about God's purpose for marriage. I read a story about an old farmer who had a wife who liked to complain. And uh, any time that he got into her presence, she would start complaining about something. And that kind of 
got worse as time went on, and he just found himself really kind of staying away from home and from her. Well, one day he was out working the field with his donkey, and they were plowing, and he kind of saw this peripheral view, his wife making her way through the field over to him, and she got to where he was there in the field doing the work, and uh, he said, honey, what are you doing? And she said, well, I brought you lunch today. And he said, well, that was very kind. And so kind of unhitched the donkey there and kind of went over to a shade tree on the side of the field and got the donkey tied up. And she began to unload the basket and present the lunch that she had prepared. And he was so thankful. The food was so delicious. And they started talking. And they didn't get very far into a conversation. And boom, she went right in to complaining about something. And his spirit just kind of was a bit uh, weighed down by that. And right in the middle of that, unbeknownst, certainly and kind of as a shock, that donkey reared up and kicked his wife, kicked her right in the head and killed her instantly. He got with their pastor, as you would suspect, and began to put arrangements together for the service. And the day of the funeral came, and the pastor presided over the service, a beautiful service, a lot of people there. They were a well-known couple in the church. And then afterwards, it's customary, sometimes at a funeral, people come by to pay respects to the family and that kind of a thing. And the pastor was there, and he was observing this as this was happening. The husband was on the other side of the casket, and people were stopping to talk with him. But the pastor noticed something very unusual, something he had never seen before. Every woman who stopped to talk to the man, the man would listen for a moment, and then he would nod in agreement with the woman. But every man who stopped to talk to the husband, he'd listen for a moment, and then he would shake his head in disagreement with the man. And the pastor noticed this pattern and thought, that is so weird, but it was so consistent. With every lady that stopped, it was nodding in agreement. With every man that stopped, it was nodding in disagreement. The pastor thought, I've got to ask this farmer, what are they talking about? Well, they left the funeral, they went to the graveside, they were coming back to the church, and the pastor said, the old farmer, he said, I, I, today's been a tough day, I don't mean to bring this up, but I just couldn't help but notice at the church, when you were greeting people as they came by, you were talking with the ladies, and you were agreeing with them, you were shaking your head in agreement, but then many of the men that came by you were talking with, and you were shaking your head in disagreement, what was that all about? And the farmer said, oh, that. Well, the ladies were coming by, and they were talking about what a good friend my wife was and how great her cooking was and that kind of thing. And I was nodding in agreement with that. And the pastor said, okay. He said, well, what about the men? He said, well, the men heard that my donkey kicked my wife and killed her, and they wanted to know if the donkey was for sale. And I was telling them, no, uh, that the donkey is not for sale. So uh, now... We don't have any uh, donkeys for sale at this marriage retreat. We're going to go to God's Word Amen. and ask God to give us some instructions on how we can accomplish and conduct our relationship according to God's plan. It's no mystery. It's no uh, surprise to you or shock to you to know that marriage is under attack in our culture and country today. That the status of marriage for many couples is not good. It's not thriving, it's not getting better, it's not uh, excelling and exceeding their expectations, and we know that to be true. But the sad reality of that is that is not God's plan. God's plan for your marriage is that it would be better today than it has ever been, and that's applicable if you've been married for a year, 10 years, 40 years, 50 years, or anywhere in between. That's God's intent and purpose and plan. Now we go to Genesis chapter 2, of course Genesis 1 and 2, you're reading the creation account, right? And God said, and it was so. And what a beautiful thing that God spoke creation into being. And then as you read the creation account, you find that as God created, he said, and it is good. And it is good. And it is good. In fact, in Genesis 2 verse 18, we see the antithesis of that for the very first time. The Bible says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. The very first thing in the word of God that was not good was this, that man was alone. And every married man says amen to that fact. God, amen. thank you so very much for, uh, for setting that straight, right? Everything was great in the creation account. Adam was created. He was given stewardship of the garden. But God said, it is not good that he is alone. I will make a help me for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. In verse 20 in Genesis 2, and Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found in help me for him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord had taken from man made he a woman, 
and brought her unto the man. This was not good that Adam was alone. God causes the deep sleep, takes the rib from Adam, makes Eve, presents her to Adam, and now this is good. You've heard about the different views of creation, right? The lady's view of creation is that God made Adam first and then said, I could do better. And so then he made Eve. <laughs> man's view of creation is that God created all of the beast and then man, and then he rested. And then God created the woman, and neither beast or man have ever rested ever since. And so I don't know what view you have of creation, but there are many uh, that are out there. And so God creates Eve. God brings Eve to Adam, and we find in this union the very first Marriage. In Genesis 2, verse 24, is going to be our text for this afternoon. Therefore, therefore meaning what? Why is this there? Because it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. So God made Eve. God brought them together in the holy assembly and union of marriage. Therefore, because of that, shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his flesh, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, God mentions here in Genesis chapter 2 some foundational principles for marriage. This is the first teaching on marriage, uh, the first instruction. This is God's foundational plan for marriage, and it has not changed. The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. For I am the Lord, and I change not. And so what we read in Genesis 2, the very first instruction regarding the marriage relationship, is as applicable to you and I in 2021 as it was when it was given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Now, we talked about some of the uh, cultural norms today of marriages either not making it or people being together that are not married or people, you know, uh, surviving but not thriving. And yet that's not God's plan. And we understand that because of the way that our country is going in regards to marriage, it's often because it's not done according to God's plan. And when we get away from God's plan, our relationships suffer. So when we see God's purpose in marriage and these foundational laws, we want to heed to them so that our marriage can operate according to God's plan. And it's really important that we establish God's word as the foundation for everything we're going to talk about this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow. Why? I love the verse in Psalms 107, 20, and I think I put it in your notes. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. You know what's going to bring healing to marriages and uh, reprieve from destruction of sin? God's word. Um, I do not know enough about marriage to be the husband that I should be aside from God's word. That's right. I don't have the strength to be the husband that I should be without the filling of the spirit of God. Um, Marriage is not designed to be successful without God. God's got to be in the center of a relationship for it to be successful. The old adage of the triangle. Here's God. Here's the husband. There's the wife. As they draw closer to the Lord, they draw closer one to the other. When God's in the center of it, when they're conducting themselves in their relationship according to God's original intent and design, everyone benefits from that. So we're going to go all the way back to Genesis 2 and talk about God's purpose for marriage, looking at four fundamental laws. Two this afternoon, two tonight. Let's talk, number one, about the law of priority. The law of priority. Now, the Bible says in Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. Now, here's why I know that this teaching about marriage was to be a pattern. In other words, it was instruction that was to last even until today and applicable to you and I. You know why I know that? Because Adam and Eve didn't have a mom and a dad. Uh, when God talked about leave father and mother, God had just created Adam from the dirt and God had just created Eve from his rib. There were no in-laws. There were no parents. There were no issues like this. But God was providing this instruction as an example for you and I to follow. And God was accentuating here the important commitment that needed to be between the man and the woman for their relationship to be as it should. Now, the Hebrew word here for leave means to loosen or to relinquish, to abandon, or to depart from permanently. God is saying the allegiance that someone would have given their parents, their father and their mother, the, uh, the commitment, the authority they would have been under, the honor and so on, that is to be released and it is to be given to their spouse. God wants our relationship to be of a high priority. As we understand the word of God, 
it's God's intent that our marriages would be the highest priority in our life, second only to our relationship with God. Okay? That's God's intent for my marriage. That's God's intent for your marriage. We are to leave father and mother. The, uh, the priority that we had in the relationship with our parents, uh, the uh, specialness of that relationship, the honoring of that relationship, the authority in that relationship. When a couple says, I do, they're to leave father and mother. That relationship now is relinquished and it is given to husband and wife. We are to leave father and mother. We are to come together. The law of priority. Our marriage is to be second only to our relationship with God. Now, what happens when that is not happening in the marriage relationship? Well, I want you to become familiar with a term, legitimate jealousy. Okay? Legitimate jealousy. Um, imagine we're going to have a break here this afternoon and you can do dinner or whatever you're going to do. And imagine you're walking around here at some of the shops or restaurants or something. You and your spouse holding hands, maybe on the way to dinner, maybe on the way back or whatever. And somebody stops you out here and they start talking with you. And then all of a sudden they start flirting with your spouse and even start like, inappropriately flirting with your spouse and like trying to seduce them away from you how would you feel about that <laughs> don't think you would like it right uh i i think you might say something you might do something right you're going to protect what's rightfully yours well what stirs that response in you what stirs that protective spirit in you this term legitimate jealousy, right? It causes you to protect what is rightfully yours. Webster's Dictionary defines jealous as this, intolerant of rivalry or unfaithfulness. Intolerant of rivalry or unfaithfulness. Now, sometimes I'll teach this and people will ask, well, I thought being jealous was a bad thing. Look at Exodus 34, 14. I think I have this in your notes as well. For thou shalt worship no other God. I agree with that. For the Lord, that's the true God, our God, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Did you know that God is not only a jealous God, that jealousy is one of his names? <laughs> now, Colossians 1.18, God teaches you and I that Christ is their preeminence in what? In all things, right? He's to be on the top of the list of every category in our entire life. That is God's rightful place. And anything that I put in God's rightful place, I am committing idolatry, right? I am putting something in the place that God deserves. I'm putting something of, of, of a nature of higher value than God. I am committing idolatry if I do that as a believer. And we need to understand the principle applies to marriage as well. When I said I do, I was committing to leave father and mother. What does that mean? It means I was committing to make my marriage a high Priority, second only to my relationship with God. And if I don't keep my marriage in that rightful place, I am going to stir, I'm going to create, I'm going to foster an emotion in my spouse's heart of legitimate jealousy. There's going to be frustration on their behalf that, hey, why has this or that or that individual taken my place? I used to matter to you. Um, that was something we enjoyed. And those things can wane over time, often unintentionally, because the relationship is not the party that it should be, and it creates this legitimate jealousy. And there's certainly times in life where everyone feels a, a bit of legitimate jealousy. Like, what is happening to us? Why have we drifted, or why have we lost what we once had and we need to be careful to make sure we maintain our marriages and priorities. So how do we understand the law of priority? First of all, letter A, we need to understand that problems do not end at the wedding. Now you're like, you didn't need to come all the way from California to tell us that, Gabe. We already know that, right? You know, but it's interesting all the way to the wedding altar as you're getting to know someone and you love them and you're developing the relationship. Sometimes you can kind of see the kinks in the armor and some things that maybe are not perfect and you're like, it doesn't matter. We're going to get married, and when we get married, everything is going to be awesome. All these little idiosyncrasies and stuff are going to kind of go away. It's not going to matter because we are going to be married. And then you get married. And you're like, huh. Where's that? It's not perfect. 
Now, if you don't have problems in your marriage, you're not doing it right. So don't be like, don't worry if it's like, you know, we have problems and I'm not sure if we belong. We're, we all belong. Trust me, right? They say marriage is just a walk in the park, Jurassic Park, but it's just a walk in the park indeed, right? And as we go along through married lives, sometimes we're tempted to replace the party of our marriage with something else. Maybe it's career. Uh, we get going into career and all of a sudden we're all in on that. And our time and our energy, and if we're not careful, the, the, the position that our spouse once held is no longer there. Maybe it's family, sometimes children, grandchildren, whatever, and it can kind of take the place thereof. But there's going to always be something that competes, and it's going to stir frustrations in our spouse. And you'll hear things like, we just don't have time together that we used to have, or we don't have the energy to be together like we used to, or we don't love one another like we used to. Things have changed. And what are the spouses saying as something begins to compete for the place that they have? They're saying, hey, I'm jealous because something has taken my place in your life. I was a party to you that I no longer am. And here's the danger of the way we might think about that. Because in our country, in our culture, it would be more natural for marriages to, for man and woman to meet, man and woman to fall in love, everything to be great, and then get married in the honeymoon, in the honeymoon phase, right? And then it just kind of begins to dwindle a little bit. We've been married maybe in years, now we're measuring in decades, we're still together, we still have the same address, but the closeness, the intimacy, the uh, the uh, spirit, the strength of the marriage. It's just not like it used to be. And we can, if we're not careful, think, well, that's normal. The longer you're married, it's awesome, and you know things about each other, the way that this person prefers that or whatever. But as far as the strength and the closeness and the vibrancy of the relationship, it's just not what it used to be, but that's kind of normal. I mean, you've been around that person for a really long time. But that's not God's design. God wants our marriages to get better. God wants our marriages to grow closer. God wants our marriages to get better with time, not drawing apart over time. And so we've got to be careful to understand God's design. My relationship is to be a high priority, the principle of priority, understanding, hey, second to only the relationship with God, this is God's design, and this will lead us forward. So there's going to be some issues we've got to work through. Letter B, then we need to understand that love begins with priorities. Now, if we're going to obey God's command that we find in Genesis 2, and we're going to prioritize so that our marriage is in the position that it should be second only to our relationship with God. There's going to be some things we have to do in order to make sure that structure maintains, right? That we, we have an understanding of God's plan and it is in place. And I want to give you a, kind of a three-step process real quick regarding priorities. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to identify and write out the priorities of your life. Um, this may be something you and your spouse have already done. If not, this would be a great homework assignment between uh, now and dinner, between tonight and tomorrow, on the drive home or whatever. But just talk about, sweetheart, what our are priorities? Um, what's a high priority to you? What's a high priority to me? And talk those things through. Now, we understand some general ones from the Bible, right? We've already established in our session this afternoon that God should be our highest priority. That's pretty easy in Scripture. We're establishing, number two, that your marriage should be just under your relationship with God. We're establishing that from Scripture. If God's given you children, that's a high priority. God has given every person in this room a spiritual gift. God gave that to you to discover it, to develop it, and to deploy it in the local New Testament church. That's a high priority. I taught last day is it Friday? I taught Wednesday night in our couples class about the importance of work. We were studying the life of Joseph from the book of Genesis, and his first mention is he's out doing the chores his father gave him to do in the field, even when his brothers were neglecting the work that they were given to do. And I was talking about the importance it is to work. And for every man in this room, God gives us the responsibility of provision, providing for and caring for our family. That's a high priority. And we can go on and on and on with priorities. What are your priorities? What are your wife's priorities? What are your husband's priorities? Identify those priorities. Talk about them. Find where there's common ground. Understand what's important to your spouse and make sure you have a biblical 
of you, of certainly God, your marriage, and etc. as you go through. So you need to identify these and understand them. Then secondly, you need to prove these priorities in real ways. What do you mean by that, Gabe? Here's what I mean. You can identify your priorities and you can talk about your priorities, but they are really not your priorities until you prove them. Okay? I can stand here, you don't know me from Adam, and I don't know you, and I can say, Suzanne and I have been married 20 years, and I love her. Well, that sounds great, but that's not going to mean anything to her if I've not proven it. What do you mean? I mean, if my actions and behavior do not back up what I'm saying, then what weight does what I say have? Right? My talk talks and my walk talks. But my walk talks louder than my talk talks, right? So I can say, I can talk a good game. Or in the military, I can give happy talk, right? But if there's no actions to back it up, if there's no behavior to support it, if there's not a life to prove what I've said, then what I've said doesn't really carry any weight. The Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's important that, yes, we identify our parties, but that we prove our priorities. Um, Let's talk about for a minute. We said our our relationship with God is the number one party. I think we all agree with that. Okay. So if we say my relationship with God is the highest party in my entire life, and everybody in the room was like, amen, or I agree. Okay. So then if we took everyone's life and we said, okay, so you've identified that as a high priority, now let's prove it. How are you doing in your Bible? What's your prayer life? How's your church attendance? How's your giving? How's your serving? How's your witnessing? In other words, you've indicated this is a high priority to me. Okay, so let's prove it. Let's look at your life. Let's scroll back. Let's get behind the curtain a little bit. And let's look. Is there something there that proves, yeah, wow, this person really is all in. God is their highest priority. And God would teach us lots of things in his word that would indicate there's that kind of relationship. You'll know them by their fruits, right? We're to be constrained by the love of Christ, right? Okay, so then marriage. We're to leave father and mother. It's to be a high priority, second only to our relationship with God. So we identify that priority, but then let's prove it. Um, are we proving the priority of our marriage? And I can give you a list of things that I may over this time together but the greatest list you want to have is a list from your spouse. What proves my love to you? Maybe it's communicating love. Maybe it's having a weekly date. Maybe it's holding hands. Maybe it's whatever the case may be. For a lot of ladies, what they're looking for in their husband is what are you willing to give up in order to prove your love to me? I want to see that you love me. And when there's a choice, me and something else, that you're choosing me and proving that priority. So we've got to identify, yes, but we've got to prove it. We've got to show by the way we live, this is something we're backing up. And then thirdly, we've got to prepare to protect the priority for the rest of our life. Now, I'll tell you this. I know that Satan does not want me to have a good marriage, and I know this this way. Because whenever I plan a date or a time together or whatever, you know one of the things that gets fought the most on my calendar? Family stuff. Date with Susanna. Family night with the four kids, whatever. I put those big rocks on my calendar, and those are the first things for a conflict to arise. Well, Gabe, can you do this? Hey, we got to have this meeting. Hey, can you go uh, speak here or whatever? And the first thing that, that there's conflict is typically for me uh, something that would have to do maybe with the Lord or with my family. Why? Because Satan knows those are high priority, and he's going to try to distract. He's going to try to derail. He's going to try to get me off track from doing those things. So what do I have to do? I have to protect them. I've got to protect them. These are big rocks and they matter. When's the last time you've said no to something else because you were saying yes to your spouse or to your family? By the way, it's easier to say no when a greater yes burns inside. And we want to make sure that we have these priorities identified and then that we are willing to protect them. Let me give you the side note. When something comes up and you do have a conflict and it's unavoidable, talk with your spouse Work it out and then make it up. One thing, Suzanne, I've really tried to do was great advice we got from somebody else regarding our kids. 
that whenever we have to miss something, maybe a family night, maybe uh, a, a trip when COVID was such an interesting season of, of ministry. I don't know when I'm out of it yet, but mentally I'm, I'm out of it. But anyway, uh, COVID was such an interesting season of ministry. And uh, COVID hit March of 2020, and we were leaving Memorial Day weekend, May of 2020. And, and we literally were in the van, the entire family, bags packed. We are out of town. And I get a call from an attorney, and something had happened in our ministry, and somebody had COVID, and I was around that person. And of course, this is still when COVID was like nobody knew what it was, and everybody thought you were going to die if you were within somebody's airspace, you know, or something, didn't have your spacesuit on or whatever, you know. And um, and so it was a big deal, and, and I was being told to go test and quarantine, all these kinds of things, and that didn't all have to go the way it was. But what did happen was the family trip we had planned was canceled instantly. Uh, instead of going out of town and doing the things we were going to do, we spent uh, Memorial Day Monday and Tuesday, my day off, the six of us in our home, not able to go anywhere uh, until we got some information and then some things adjusted. And we told our kids, you know, uh, hey, we're going to make this up. And what we have learned is if we will back that up and really make it up and try to exceed, okay, we were going to do whatever, but man, the makeup is going to be that much better. It, it helps our kids to uh, to understand and kind of adjust to sometimes those unavoidable uh, adjustments that have to be made. So if something comes up and you do have to adjust, then make it up and do it right. Make sure your spouse knows, man, if, if, if he or she is going to make this up, it's going to be better than it was before. Or my kids know, if we have to make this up, it's going to be better even than it was before. Because we don't want to violate the time that we have protected for our Family. So identify these priorities, establish these priorities, prove them the way you live, and then protect them. Make sure that they happen. The law of priority. Adam, Eve, leave father and mother. Relinquish the commitment to that relationship and give it one to the other. Can I ask you before we move on this afternoon, is your marriage... The highest priority in your life, second only to your relationship with God. Is your actions and behavior backing that up? And when something threatens the opportunity for strengthening of your marriage or family, do you protect the family and make sure it happens at all costs? And if unavoidably something has to adjust, are you sure to make it up? Every one of us understand that when we tell our family, hey, we'll get to it, hey, we'll get to it, hey, we'll get to it, hey, we get to it, eventually those are just empty, hollow words, right? Because we've said that over and over and over again. We're going to have a day. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And we've just talked about it. It's never happened. And it means nothing anymore because we just kind of keep delaying. So we need to make sure that we're proving that priority, that we're protecting it. And when it's unavoidably adjusted, we need to make sure to make it up in the way that we should. Leaving father and mother. Number two. The law of pursuit. God goes on to say in Genesis chapter number 2 that therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Now there are hundreds of married people in America today that would say we just kind of reached a point where we don't love each other anymore. We did. Uh, it was awesome for a season, but that's just not the way we feel today. But God wants every one of us to feel a deep, passionate love for our spouse. Irregardless of how long you've been married. If you've been telling the same person, I love you for a year or for 50 years, God still wants it to be something that's deep and passionate, a love that you're expressing one to the other. That's why God said, leave. Relinquish uh, the bonds of commitment to someone else. Give them to your wife. And then God says, I want you to cleave. Now, just as we wanted to understand what leave meant, we want to understand what cleave meant. I know some of you are thinking, cleave, cleave. Oh, yeah, like meat cleaver, you know, this big, <laughs> large knife chopping things in two. And you're like, yeah, that's kind of my recollection of marriage. No, 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 we're not talking about meat cleaver, okay? In fact, the word, Hebrew word for cleave means to pursue with great energy and to cling to something zealously. To pursue with great energy and to cling to something zealously. So God says, I want you to leave, relinquish. 
loosen the commitment and hold that you had in that relationship and give it to your spouse. I want you to cleave. I want you to pursue one another with great energy. <clears throat> I want you to cling to one another with great zealousness. God is saying this is the key to a great marriage relationship. In fact, that same word for cleave in Genesis is used in the book of Hebrews. Or excuse me, the same Hebrew word is used in the book of Psalms. Psalm 63, verse 8 in your notes. The Bible says, my soul, and here's the word, Followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. And God says, my soul followeth hard. <coughs> Excuse me. The same word for cleave. God said, I want you to cleave one or the other. Just as described in the psalmist, I want to follow hard after the Lord. What is God saying? God's saying, I want you to pursue one another. I want you to cling to one another. Now, what is God saying? What is God teaching? What's the secret sauce here to a great, thriving, growing relationship? Here it is. From the very beginning of marriage with Adam and Eve, God said the secret to a great marriage is work. Work. I want you to cleave. I want you to go after one another. I want you to cling to one another. I want you to work at your relationship. And marriage only works when you and I work at it. Now, when I teach this, especially to a group or an audience of younger couples, there's always kind of a bristling in the room. Because there is this thought process that if you find the right person, you marry the right person, you love the right person, then marriage should just kind of take care of itself. In fact, if I have to work at it, that's like an indication we did something wrong, right? Because if you meet the right person, you love the right person, you marry the right person, then it should be we live happily ever after. Right? We got the house, we got the white picket fence, we share now the last same last name and the same address, and life should just be great. And if it takes work, it's kind of an indication that, whoa, hang on here. Why is this taking work? It shouldn't take work. We're supposed to be, we're meant to be together. But that is a false assumption, and it's a false understanding of love that comes from Hollywood, right? Boy and girl meet, boy and girl fall in love, and they live happily ever after. Well, Hollywood is the last place you want to get any love advice from. <laughs> Trust me, I live real close to there, all right? Now, we want to get that from God. And we need to understand, as God is teaching you tonight, the importance of cleaving after one another. Plus, I want you tonight to understand that that's already been in our relationship. You say, hey, what do you mean? Okay, let's go back to when you first met your spouse and you started dating. That season in your memory that is we met, we fell in love, everything was perfect. Okay, let's go back and examine that for a second. Is that exactly what happened? Think back to your dating life. Um, back to when, when you dated, you did things like iron your clothes. You brushed your teeth. You washed the car. You made a dinner reservation. You bought flowers and chocolates. You bought a card and you fill it out. You got her door. You say, hey, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. If you're honest and you go back to the beginning of your relationship and you examine how it started, what you are going to find is that you both put your best foot forward. You both put energy and effort into your relationship. What did you do? You both worked at it. Work has been a part of your relationship from the very beginning. But there's something in our subconscious that feels like, well, yeah, I guess that's true. I did work at it, but I worked at it. We have the right person. We are in love. We got married. It shouldn't be work anymore. Wrong. Wrong. God teaches you and I, if you want a great marriage, leave and cleave. Zealously cling to one another. Energetically pursue one another. Keep working at your relationship. Letter A, exercise is the key. If we're going to have a great relationship, we've got to keep working at it. COVID was a disruptor of many things, but in America, for a lot of people, it's also a disruptor of exercise, right? People were told, stay home, don't leave, uh, you know, quarantine, don't get around people, don't, don't move, don't, whatever. I don't know how it was here. We're, we're in L.A. County, in Southern California, so uh, you couldn't go out without a spaceship, but it was quite, quite, a, quite a journey. And, uh, and one of the things that disrupted was people's health regimens, right? And being able to get out and maybe exercise. Gyms are closed, these kinds of things. And if some of this stuff has kind of come back on track, some people don't want to go back to those things because it's work, right? And it's effort. And especially in the beginning when you haven't done it for a while, then you get sore and... 
then you get mad, and then you can't, you know, uh, nothing working right, and, and it's kind of like, man, I don't know if this is even worth it. And you kind of got to get back into it. And just when our bodies need exercise and we're trying to get back into that rhythm and so on, sometimes our relationship finds itself in the very same place. And I just want to encourage you this afternoon that wherever you are on your marriage journey, make sure you're still working at your relationship. Uh, make sure you're still pursuing one another. Make sure you're still clinging to one another. And it may be that you need to exercise a little bit. It may be that you need to get back to exploring that relationship and energetically investing that effort into it so that you can experience what God intends. Never forget that love is not a noun, a feeling. Love is a verb. It's an action. Uh, that's God intends you and I to show our love, to prove it to our spouse. And so we don't want our emotions to lead us down a wrong path. Rather, we want our will and our actions to lead us to where we should go. When I was uh, just married, a pastor came through and taught us a lesson about the caboose comes later. And he was illustrating that the engine of the train represented the will. The decisions, the actions that we should implement in our life. And then the caboose indicated the emotions or the feeling. And the pastor was illustrating that if we operate life according to feeling, we're never going to go anywhere. But if we operate life according to will and decision and do the right thing because we're supposed to do the right thing, the caboose will eventually come. What does that mean? It means that I should love my wife even when I don't feel like loving her. And if she is going to respond biblically to me, that she should love me even when she doesn't feel like loving me. You say, Gabe, could there ever be a moment where Susanna would not feel like loving you? I know. Come on. Come on. <laughs> yes, there can be. <laughs> you say, really? Absolutely. Our marriage is not perfect because I'm in it. And there are days where I can be an absolute jerk. And I should say, I say things I shouldn't say. And I might do things I shouldn't do. And I might be the most unlovely person, especially in my wife's eyes. Well, what is she supposed to do with that? God's work teaches us in that moment to pursue, to cling to, to keep cleaving. Why? Because that's what makes a marriage great. It's not emotion-based. It's not feeling-based. It's decision-based. I stood at an altar and I said, I do. And I'm going to leave and I'm going to cleave. And I'm going to pursue and I'm going to cling to. And I'm going to go after the heart of my spouse, irregardless of how long we have been married. And that's going to bring great strength and depth to our relationship. You say, Gabe, I don't know if that's going to work for us, uh, depending on where you are and how you feel for your relationship. The Bible says in Proverbs 21, 1, the, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Friend, I don't know where you are, but here's what I know. God can change a heart. Do not withhold pursuit from your spouse because you believe it won't work. Another way of saying that is don't give up before you try. Pursuit. The law of pursuit. Being willing to go after one another. Now, a couple of thoughts here. Letter B, three steps to renewal. In the book of Revelation... God's addressing the church at Ephesus. We don't have time, but in the beginning part of chapter 2, it's an amazing uh, decree of the wonderful things of the church, their beliefs, their work, and those kinds of things. But in verse number 4, the Bible says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. So God said, You're believing the right things, you're doing the right things, but you know what I have against you, church at Ephesus? You left your first love. There was a love and an energy about you in the beginning that's no longer there. Now, please don't raise your hand. But in your mind, take inventory. Is there a love and an energy that once exists in a relationship that doesn't exist today? And if that's true, then I think God would look at us and say, Hey, what happened to your first love? What happened to that lady you used to be? Remember the way she caught your eye when she walked in the room? Remember the way your heart felt when you finally got home? What happened to that? How do we get back to that? We're told the church at Ephesus in verse 5, Remember, therefore, 
from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works. There was a threefold step to renewing that first love. Number one was remember. God was teaching these believers, remember the day it was when you heard the gospel. Remember the day it was when you got saved? Remember that first church service? Remember the first time you sang that hymn? Remember the first time you heard that message or whatever the case may be? Remember the first time God was saying, don't forget the way it started. And that's what we're reminded of today in application of marriage. Don't, remember, don't forget the way that it started. The effort that you invested, the, the beauty of your relationship, the energy that you were investing in pursuing one another and earning each other's art, remember that. And then secondly, repent. God said, remember and repent. The Bible word for repent means to turn around. So what would God be saying in context of marriage? David and Susanna, remember the way it was 20 years ago. Yeah, it was amazing. Repent and go back to that. If it's not as good today as it was then, then get back to that. Now, if it's better today than it was then, great job. Keep going and come back tonight. <laughs> he says, repent. Turn around. Go back to the way it used to be. Get back to that energy and that effort. Put your running shoes back on and go after the heart of your spouse. Well, I just don't know that that's going to work. I don't know that we can get back there. A lot's happened. Can I tell you a little secret? You're never going to talk your way out of something you behave your way into. Ever. A little effort goes a long way. If I'm not careful, there's a lot of things I should do that I wouldn't do because I would talk my way out of them. It's awkward sometimes to invite someone to church. It's awkward sometimes to look at somebody and say, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you spend any time here? It's awkward sometimes being a father to do the right thing. It's awkward sometimes as a husband to maybe pursue and try to meet that need. If we want to, we all could talk our way out of some things that we need to be doing. God says, remember the way it used to be and repent. Turn back to that energy and effort. And thirdly, he tells them to return. It's interesting to me in Ephesians 2, he says to this church, Nevertheless, I have someone against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. So remember the way it was when you weren't saved. Remember your conversion. Remember the way it was being a believer. Repent. Get back to that. And then listen to what God says. And do the first works. It's always intriguing to me. That God's solution for bringing back the first love was doing the first works. Now, for a lot of people today, that's a point of contention. Because they feel like, well, hey, God loves me. I'm saved. I'm under grace. Why should I have to do anything? I love Jesus. So I shouldn't have to do anything. Well, I don't have to do anything to earn my way to heaven. But if I'm going to be in a vibrant, loving relationship with God, yes. There should be an energetic effort on my behalf. There should be a pursuit of God in me. God says, remember the way that it used to be. Repent that it's not that way and return. Go back to doing the first works. God did not say, remember the way it used to be. Repent that it's not that way and start feeling the way you used to feel. That's not what God said. God said, remember the way you used to feel. Let's get that right. God, how do we do that? Return to the first works. God did not say to the church at Ephesus, start feeling the way you used to feel, somebody said. God said, just start doing the stuff you used to do. I think that's a great application to marriage. How are we doing? Are we doing better than we've ever done before? No, not exactly. Okay, then how was it? Let's ask God to forgive us. It's not that way anymore. And let's go back to doing that and then some. Let's put our running shoes on and let's pursue our spouse. Let's find the law of pursuit. So, how do we have a great marriage? What is God's purpose and intent? The law of priority. Leave father and mother. What does God want? God wants your marriage to be the highest part of your life, second only to your relationship to God. Is that true in your relationship? Is that something that's protected? Is that something that's proven? 
And then God said, I want you to cleave to your spouse. What does that mean? To pursue, to cling to. Okay, how are we doing in that category? Are we pursuing one another? Are we going after each other's hearts? Are our running shoes on? And are we after their heart as much as we have ever been in our relationship? Let's make sure that that effort is being exercised. That's not something we talk about in the has-been era. It's something that we're doing even now in September of 2021. And as we rekindle potentially that effort, let's remember the way it used to be. Let's ask God to forgive us. You say, Gabe, you keep talking about forgiving. What, what am I asking forgiveness for? Here it is. And I'm done. When you stood at the marriage altar, you said, till death do us part. Now, none of us read the fine print when we said that. And had we, I don't know, we might have reconsidered because there's a lot to it, right? But when we stood and we said, I do till death do us part, we were saying, I will meet your needs. I'll take care of you. I will be what you need for the rest of the time that we have together. Leaving and cleaving. I've already made the commitment that I will pursue Susanna's heart for every day that God gives us breath. The question I need to ask myself at this retreat is, how am I doing in that time? Is that really the way that I'm operating? Is that the way that I'm behaving? Is that the way that I'm investing in the relationship? The law of pursuit. And I want to encourage you in your marriage to make sure, hey, my running shoes are on. I'm going after the heart of my spouse. I have a desire to be closer to them more today than ever. And it's not something we look back on with fond memories. Yes, we're thankful for the time we met and all that God's given us till now. But we're not looking back on it like, boy, that was the best. The best is right now. Looking at each other, feeling like, man, I've never loved you more. That's God's intent. And that's the reward for following God's the law of priority and the law of pursuit. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the privilege of being here in this marriage conference with these three people from Bible Baptist and Lord Pastor Keeley and his wife and their great example of 36 years of marriage and their desire to have this retreat to invest in marriages and couples. And Lord, I'm so thankful for your word and the practical teaching concerning the relationship with marriage. And Lord, as we look at the first instruction ever, Genesis 2, we see the need to leave and to cleave, to prioritize and pursue. And I pray that you'd help all of us today to honestly evaluate, is our marriage the priority that it should? Or has something taken my spouse's place? And I need to make that right because I've created some legitimate jealousy. And then Lord, help us to evaluate How's my pursuit of my spouse? Have I ever worked harder at our marriage or relationship than I am today? And if I have, Lord, forgive me. I don't want to fail to meet my responsibility in this relationship. I want to pursue my spouse's heart. I want to be working at that more today than I ever have before. I want our relationship not just to be surviving, but thriving. Not just maintaining, but growing. Becoming deeper, more intimate. So it would help all of us to make sure that our relationship is the right priority, and that our pursuit is pleasing to you and meeting the needs of our spouse. I pray that you continue to work in us and through us at this retreat. And we'll praise and thank you for this. In Jesus' name. Amen.